We're looking at Exodus 20, 15. Exodus 20, 15. And as, as if I couldn't memorize this. <laughs> For some reason, I have my Bible in front of me. I think that I could get through it without that. But, so let's give our attention to God's word in Exodus 20, 15. It says, You shall not steal. The grass withers. That's short. Grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we consider that tonight. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here. Though we have no doubt come for a myriad of reasons, what we need more than anything, whether we even know it or not, we need to hear from you. We need to experience you. And so we pray that that would happen tonight. Uh, Father, be so kind as to show us as hard as it might be. Show us the truth of ourselves and our sin. Uh, And even more so, would you show us uh, the beauty of who you are and your grace and your mercy in Jesus. And we ask that in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've had any experience with keeping up with kids, with little kids, whether you're a parent yourself, um, probably not, or whether you have kept the nursery at, at church or, you know, you have nieces and nephews, something like that, it doesn't take you long to realize uh, what at least seems like the third word that a kid learns, right? Let's say first they're probably going to learn mama and daddy, you know, and, and one order or another. Uh, Any guesses as to what at least seems like the second, or rather third word that a kid seems to learn? I heard both of, I thought both of those were legitimate answers, and I heard both of them. No, that's a very good answer. The one I'm thinking of, mine, right? Again, I think those are tied for the right answer. But isn't that strange if you think about it? We learn, and again, this is not exact science, right? But kids know really well, mama, dad, dad, and mine. And they say it with that just awful pitch, right? No matter, yeah, no matter what kids you've kept, how great they are, you have heard them yell, mine, right? They snatch some toy from someone else, and they claim it as theirs, whether it is or not. And it's interesting if you think about it. Because parents are not at home working on that with their kids, right? You're not te- nobody's teaching their kids, you know, all right, so you're going to go to the nursery in the morning, and you grab that toy, and then you yell, my, right? Nobody's practicing that. It comes naturally to us, unfortunately. It comes naturally. Um, and I want to use that as, an, as sort of the opening illustration uh, about what we're going to talk about sort of for two, side, two reasons. One is to say that, um, that I think it's somewhat illustrative of the fact that, that ownership is built into us. We come by that naturally. We're going to talk about that in, in a little bit more depth here in just a minute. But we naturally, we're built to own things. But at the same time, we tend to not do that very well. We tend to not handle our relationship with possessions or other people's possessions, as the case may be, very well. We tend to do it selfishly. And so that is really exactly what is uh, being addressed here in this commandment, right? The commandment not to steal. Um, You know, if you think about it, it really protects this aspect of ownership, 
God values ownership so much that he would protect it in his commandment. Um, and so we've said, as we've studied through the Ten Commandments this semester, that it, the, the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, operates at the same time like a mirror into which uh, we look and see ourselves and a window through which we can look and see the character of God. And so tonight, I think we're going to see, as we look in, into the, uh, the mirror of the law, that what we're going to see about ourselves is that we, we have selfish, thieving hearts that we want for ourselves. But as we look through the window of the law into the character of God, we're going to see a God that's gracious and a God that gives to those that take. So I want to look at that tonight in four, four ways, four points, which might be scary to you because you know, that's out of the norm of three, but we're not going longer, I promise. Um, so four things. First, we're going to look at the concept of ownership. Secondly, we're going to look at how do we steal, which is not a how-to, by the way. It's more of a where do we see it in our lives. That's a whole other seminar. Um, third, we're going to look at why do we steal. And then fourthly, we'll look at how do we heal. All right, so first, the concept of ownership. Right, really, in some ways, that's our opening illustration. Uh, that having possessions, owning things, is not inherently a bad thing. In fact, as we just said, it's built into who we are. God built us that way. He's designed us as part of our humanity. Um, and so if we're going to have a discussion on what it looks like, uh, the, the details of stealing... Well, then it makes sense to begin at least with some discussion on what it means to own something. And it really all starts back in Genesis, right? Genesis 1 and 2, when God makes man, he puts man in the garden. And then in 2.15, he says this, or it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right? All of creation belongs to God because he created it, right? And what we see happening in, this, in the first couple of chapters of Genesis is that everything is his. And what he does is he takes man and he puts him in charge of it. He, he sets him up as a steward over that which he owns. He gives it to man, to us, in a sense to, to be his, but really, better said, to be a steward of it. So there's a sense in which it is man's, and a sense in which it's not, right? Um, I thought about it like this, because a lot of my illustrations center around sports. But uh, I like to play golf. Uh, the Masters is coming up in a couple of couple few weeks. Uh, so the Masters, if you're not familiar with it, I don't have, I don't have time to tell you about it. But, uh, but the Masters, so um, Augusta, right? Augusta National, one of, if not the most beautiful golf courses uh, in, the, in the country, in the world, Right? They, they, it peaks for the masters. The azaleas are perfect. I don't know how they do it, but it's all perfect. It's beautiful. Right? They have, I don't know how many people that are in charge of it, but ultimately there's, a, there's one head groundskeeper, greenskeeper. And he is in charge of making sure that that place looks exactly right. I mean, it's down to the blade of grass, perfect. So you can imagine that there's a very real sense in which he thinks about that golf course as his, right? He makes sure that everything's perfect, that it grows just right, is cut just right, everything about it. He cares for it. It's very much his. If he says do this to it, it gets done. 
It's his. He's proud of it, no doubt. But at the same time, can he sell it? Of course not, right? He can't do anything he wants with it. It's not, in another sense, his at all. He's a steward over it. I think you get the idea. But even, even as a steward, he's under authority himself. And that really is the same case for you and I, right? Again, God owns everything and he sets us up as stewards over, over things, right? The things that we have are ultimately his. So what does that mean for us? A couple of applications. Um, one, it helps us understand how we think about the things that we own, and that's in quotes, the things that we own. On the one hand, it means that it's, it's good and right to possess things, to own them. It's not wrong, right? We're called to take responsibility in this world, and so there's a healthy sense of ownership, right? It's why, if, you, if, you, if your house has ever been broken into, it's why you feel violated by that. It's a weird feeling, um, and that's striking at the heart of the fact that it's okay to own things. Right? I saw um, a, uh, I don't, a 30 for 30 or whatever on Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Duke's basketball coach. And he was telling a story uh, basically about he learned so much of what he, who he is and what, the way he thinks about things from his mom. And he said his mom is this very principled, tough lady. And he said one day she's you know, walking down the street and this, you know, she's a at least middle-aged woman and this you know, young kid comes up and tries to snatch her purse, and she fights him for it. And so when, they, uh, you know, when Mike uh, realizes that, you know, she comes home and says, this guy trying to snatch my purse, and he realizes that she didn't just give it to him, she says, he says, Mom, what, what are you doing? Why in the world would you not just give him the purse? And she says, this is a great line, she said, because Mikey, not many people can call Coach K Mikey, but... She says, because, Mikey, it wasn't his. It's mine. He said, yeah, you know, that's hard to argue with, right? But, you know, I think that's a good illustration of what we're talking about. That there's a sense in which which ownership is a good thing. But, on the other hand, it can be a very tricky thing. Because it's part of who we are as people, right, the very idea of owning and having things is going to strike very close to our hearts. And so that means, because you and I are bent the wrong way, because we're broken, it means that we're, we're going to tend to not do it very well. And we're even going to deceive ourselves about the extent to which we don't do it well, if that makes any sense. That you and I, that things like greed... And how we handle our possessions and the possessions of others. The ways in which we handle it wrongly is going to be very subtle. Right? Greed, especially greed, is the one thing that you always think somebody else is greedy. You never think, about, think, think it about yourself. It's not easy to recognize the problem. In fact, we're great at convincing ourselves that we're, we're not the problem. Alright, so there's the basic idea of the concept of ownership. So let's look at the second idea, second point. How do we steal? What ways do we see that in our lives? Because I think one of the ways that we can deceive ourselves as we come to this commandment and we think about the fact that God says, you shall not steal. I think one of the ways that we deceive ourselves is by thinking about it, defaulting to think that what stealing looks like is something that you know, it involves a ski mask and a gun. 
right? Just sort of your blatant, outright robbery. Uh, that it looks like going to Walmart or you know, Best Buy or something like that and taking something that's not yours. And now, of course, that, that is stealing, lest there be any confusion. But what I want you to realize as we begin to sort of flesh this out is that stealing, the concept of stealing goes much deeper than that. In fact, it really goes all the way down to our hearts. Uh, a man named Colin Smith proposes this definition of stealing, which I have borrowed. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I deserve that. Um, he says this, stealing is when your heart wants to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. It's when our heart wants to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. I don't know if you're familiar with an artist, uh, sort of country folk-ish singer named Todd Snyder. He actually has some ties to this part of the country. But uh, he's got a song called Easy Money. Uh, he's usually, most of his songs are pretty clever and witty. Um, and he basically says, uh, let's see, what's the line? That everybody wants the most they can possibly get for the least they can possibly do. We want that easy money, right? The same idea. Um, we want to get as much as possible while giving as little as possible. And so I think that that definition is going to begin to help us to see that stealing is not something that those people over there do, but it's going to bring it closer to home. And I want to look at that in two ways, two ways, broad categories to think about stealing, wrong taking and wrong keeping. Okay. Wrong taking. This one's pretty obvious, right? This is when you take something that is not yours. When you take some money that your roommate has left out. Uh, when you, maybe when you take some of the food that they paid for, and that's not the way you've agreed to do things, right? But they're not going to notice. It's not that big a deal. Uh, when you, you know, if you work in an office and you, you know, ink cartridges are expensive, right? Print, I bought some the other day. It's like 40 bucks. It's expensive. And, you know, your office, you know, on campus or wherever, they get it for like $15, and they got a whole stack of them. And if you take one, it's not that big a deal, right? Uh, maybe when you take answers off of someone else's test paper or out of their project or whatever, or when you take someone else's work, which we call plagiarism, maybe when you and I take um, movies or music off the internet that doesn't belong to us and we don't pay for it. Um, maybe it looks like taking money from your using, if your parents have given you a credit card that you're, you have an understanding, you're free to use for certain purposes, um, but you know they don't really pay attention to the bill um, and you use it for what you shouldn't maybe. Wrong taking. I think, again, pretty straightforward. But what's a little bit more subtle is this idea, I think, of wrong keeping. Wrong keeping. Um, because we can often steal by not giving what we should. Right? We've said that a couple of times throughout as we studied the Ten Commandments. The, the, the Ten Commandments tend to prohibit something explicitly. Right? Do not uh, murder. But we said that uh, really, the flip side of that, it, there's also, um, in a sense, an implicit command of not only do not kill, but we should foster life. And I think that's at work here as well. 
Right? Not only should we not take things that don't belong to us, but really the commandment uh, is that we should, not, um, we should be giving things. We should be generous. Um, and so what does that look like? Maybe it looks like when we wrongly keep, all of the ta- or keep some of the taxes that we owe back to the government. Because you know you're not going to get caught. They paid you in cash. Nobody reports that kind of income, right? Um, but should you keep it? Is it really yours? Um, maybe if you work at a place where you get, uh, where you get tips and you don't, you don't turn in all of your tips like you're supposed to. You keep some back. Um, maybe it looks like when you get credit for something that you didn't do and you just keep it, right? You don't pass it along to who it should go to. Maybe at work, if you're supposed to be on the clock doing whatever for your employer uh, and you spend time looking at Facebook or Twitter or whatever, right? That time is not yours. It is yours. You're a steward of it, but you're supposed to be giving it and you don't. Um, Let's see what else. Uh, Yeah, I mean, all these are the whole idea is we're wanting to get as much as we can and give just as little as possible. Maybe you do it with class, right? Maybe there's certain requirements uh, that are required of you in a class uh, to get the best grade possible, right? And our hearts want to come at that and say, I want to give as little as I can. I want to cut as many corners as I can and yet get the best grade possible. We're keeping back the time that actually we should be giving to the class, maybe. Um, this one may not... Anyway, I thought about this for myself. Uh, hypothetical, this has never happened. Um, let's say I talk to Amy and say, I'm going to be home, I'll be home by 4.30. And then I finish, uh, you know, I'm in my office and I finish what I need to do by 4.10. And so Amy's at home, you know, managing the chaos of our household and would love for me to come home and help. And, but I got 20 minutes that's mine. Mine, in quotes. And so I show up at the time that I told her I would, right? Because you get the idea. Wrong keeping. All right. And here's the real kicker that I think gets in our hearts. We often wrongly keep from God. All right, so how do we do that? All right, listen to Malachi 3. When was the last time you read from Malachi? But here we go. Malachi 3, 8 through 10. It says this. Will man rob from God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Hear what God just outright says, you're stealing from me. And they say, how? He says, because you don't give your tithe. And he says, it's beautiful. He says, just, just try me. Try giving a tithe and see if I don't open heaven and just pour blessing on you. And now you might be thinking, okay, that's Old Testament though. You know, that's temple um, and whatnot. And there's no temple anymore. And you're right if you're referring to that building, right? But the church is the temple of God. That's what the New Testament teaches us. So God, I think you could say that God is saying that we are stealing from him when we're tight-fisted with our money and our time and our 
resources towards the church. And look, while there's no command to give, there's no command in the New Testament to give 10% or 15%, or there's no command to give a certain amount. And look, hopefully this will provide good uh, fodder for discussion in community groups about what, what does this look like in, in our lives. But while there's no command, certainly in the New Covenant, in, in the, with the fullness of revelation that we have, it's kind of, I think we'd be hard-pressed to think that it would be any less, right? And so just, you know, if you're thinking, okay, that sounds a little harsh. Like maybe I'm stingy a little bit, but I'm not stealing. You have to remember that what we said at the beginning, that it's God that owns everything, even our money. And we're just stewards of it. Everything's his and we're, we steal from God because he calls us to give. All right, thirdly, let's look at why do we steal, right? I think, you know, we can sort of belabor that point about all the ways we do it and we get that. Why is that there? What's at the heart of stealing? And, well, at the heart of stealing is our hearts, right? And, again, we go back all the way to Genesis, which I think we're going to do in the fall. I think we're, that's my plan is to study a little bit in Genesis in the fall, but whatever. Um, so God gives, uh, God gives the garden and all of its animals and whatnot, you know, for them to name and to tend the garden. And then he also gives them one command, Right? Genesis 2, he says, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then you remember what happened. So God says, look, it's all yours except this one. Don't eat that. And then Satan comes along, if you remember the story, and he says, so what what did God tell you? And he says, oh, we're not supposed to eat. And he says, you're not going to die. Look, let me tell you the real reason God doesn't want you to eat that. Because God knows that if you eat that, then you'll be like he is, and he doesn't want that. That's what's really, you're not going to die, you're going to live. And Adam and Eve begin to think, wait a minute, maybe God is holding back from me. Maybe God's sort of holding back the good stuff. Maybe he doesn't have my best interest at heart. Maybe he's, maybe he could be better to me, but he's not. And so they begin to doubt him and not trust him. And so what do they do? They say, that's not supposed to be rightfully mine, but I don't trust him, so I'm going to take it. They steal, right? They steal. And that's exactly the same thing that's, in, that's at work in all of us. We default, our hearts default to looking at God and not trusting him and thinking he's keeping, he won't take care of me like he should. He won't give me what I need. He won't work providence in the best way possible for me, whatever. So I'm going to take it myself. I'll give you an illustration uh, that I heard from a friend of mine several years ago. I believe it was his in-laws. I don't recall at this point, but neither here nor there. Um, he was telling me about his, again, I think it was his in-laws family. And they, they happen to be very wealthy folks. And they had a lady that worked for them in their house, you know, helped keep house and clean and cooked and whatnot. And she had been there so long that she was like a member of their family. They took very good care of her. They paid her more than, you know, a good bit more than, than that job typically would merit because they cared about her. 
And, and she knew to some degree they cared about her. And they went above and beyond in lots of different ways and always, you know, like, we'd love to help you in whatever way we can. She'd been with him for years. And then eventually, uh, you know, the, the husband, it kind of got on his radar one day that he, he felt like something was missing, some change, you know, some, I don't know, a couple of bucks or something like that was missing from his dresser that he had laid up there. And then that kind of kept happening a little bit. And so he set up some sort of scheme to kind of get at the bottom of who it was, taking it, and he, you know, found out conclusively that it was actually this lady and it worked for him. And so it ended up damaging and ultimately ending their relationship. And I want you to think about that for a second. Because if you're like me, I'm guessing you hear that story and you think, okay, that is, it's insane, right? Why would you steal a dollar or two fifty or something like that and risk the whole thing? Why would she do that? And the, because these people are very wealthy, right? She could have asked them, well, let me say it this way. The reason she did that is because she, ultimately she didn't trust them. When it really got down to it, she didn't trust them. She should have. Because if she had gone to them and said, look, I know I probably shouldn't ask you this, but I'm in a hard spot and I need, and it might have sounded like a fortune to her, I need $500. I can't say this for sure, but I feel pretty confident to say that he would have written her a check like that without even thinking about it. No problem. But because she didn't trust him, she's going to steal a little here and a little there and she's going to destroy the relationship. Right? She, she ultimately thinks, I've got to take care of myself. And just like that lady, it, we are just like she is. Um, we look and we think, all right, I'm going to steal that answer off that test. And what's really going on inside, though it may not be conscious, is I'm going to take that because I don't trust God with my future. If I don't get the grade that I need, then I'm not going to get in the grad school that I need, and then I'm not going to get uh, the job that I need, you know, and on and on. I don't, I don't trust God with the grade that I would make. So I'm going to take it. Or maybe we look at it and we think, look, I give 20 to 30% of my income to taxes, and then there's rent and utilities and food and gas and on and on and on. And there's just not much left over. And I don't trust God. I don't trust that he's going to take care of me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give. I'm going to keep it. Because I don't think he can take care of, of what I need. All right, so how do we heal? Fourthly and finally, if you're tracking and if you're finding yourself thinking, okay, yeah, my heart is bent towards that in every way I can think of. I try to maximize every resource in life to get as much as possible and give as little as possible. I steal all the time and I'm certainly not generous. What's the answer? All right, to put it very simply, the answer, or at least one way to go at it is this, is John 3.16. John 3.16. And I'm going to guess that a lot of you did what I did. The first, I was reading a, you know, a guy that had written on this. And as I was reading this, and he, he says, you know, John 3.16, you know, right? We all know it. Right? You go through it in your head, for God's love the world. He gave us all and, and I thought, ah, 
Okay, that must be a type. And I honestly, look, maybe he meant 1 John 3.16, right? Maybe he meant John 13.16. But as I kept reading, it's right there. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. God loved the world in this way. How did he love the world? He loved the world so much that he gave. He didn't take. He didn't try to maximize his enjoyment in a sense. He gave. And what did he give? He gave his most prized possession. He gave his only son. And now look, as a parent now, that, that has become more and more amazing to me, quite honestly. Because look, I love y'all. Most of you. Kidding. No, I love y'all. And I'd like to think that I would do, a, I'd like to think that I'd do a lot for you. But I can promise you this. If in some like parallel universe, it came down to one of you or all of you and one of my kids, you're done. I'll take you out myself (laughs) as opposed to give up one of my kids. Did somebody just say I have a specific set of skills? That Yes, that, well played, well played. Ruined the whole, you know, mojo of my sermon, but thanks. Um, yeah, you get the idea, right? I'm not giving up one of my kids. Why? Because they're mine. But the beauty of the gospel, the good news that will begin to heal your heart, is that God gave He gave his son. He gave him freely. And we have to to replace our default thinking of God as the God that's stingy, that says, this would be a good thing, you would enjoy this, but I'm not giving it to you. We have to replace that view of God with the God that will give us everything. Right? The Bible even says it. Romans 8.32 basically tells us that if it reasons this way, that if God will give us his son, what else would he hold back from us? Nothing. He won't hold anything back from us. And that means that we can trust him. It means that we can trust him to forgive our thieving hearts. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Right? If you trust his provision for you that he gave, that he took his son and he sacrificed, he gave him up to be punished in in our place, so that you and I can have all of the righteousness that he earned credited to us. And the more that that truth gets down in our bones, the more that we really believe that God will give has given for us and will give for us, the more we're able to look at at other things and not need them so much we take them, and the more we're able to look at our stuff and say, if you need do you need something I have? Look here. 
the more it gets in our bones, the more you'll be able to look and say, go from it's money, it's mine, to, what? yeah, you need money? It's just money here. Do you need my time? Yeah, I got plenty here. It's the gospel. The more and more it works in us, the more we'll be able to give. So, yeah, do you know a God that gives that freely? Because that God is offered to you tonight. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is hard for us to comprehend the truth of that, that you would would give. And not just give something, but give, in a sense, your everything. Jesus, thank you for that. Would we own that, that truth? Would it reign in our hearts? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.